All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Pursuit of Relentless podcast. You've got your host, Elena. And today I have a dear friend of mine here who is changing the world. And I'm going to let you hear it from her how she's doing that. But I am super excited to have Mandy Melnick with me today from Meadow Creek Farms. She's an Alberta farmer and is here to talk very like, here we go. We're going to we're going to get into it. Uh, and talk about the food industry and how crazy it's been over the last five, 10, whatever, however long, you know, and how much it's changed as well. So I'm excited for you guys to get access to her. Hopefully we'll get a couple gardening tips as well for us little farmers out there. Um, so yeah, welcome to the show, Mandy. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, awesome to chat with you and I love my Fort McMurray community and my village up there. Uh, wouldn't be coming up there if it wasn't for the incredible group of committed people that ask for me to deliver good food to them. Mm -hmm. So there is a great uh, community of like-minded people that value knowing the source of their food yeah. and having a relationship with your farmer, shaking the hand of the person that produces your food. It's kind of a cool feeling because yeah. you need us three times a day. So, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tell us what My got you into is, farming. Well, what we do is probably the hardest way of life known to man. Yeah. Um, so it's uh it was um really because I got a good understanding of farm uh politics and how food affects every aspect of our community and our society and our health. And yeah. so my first experience was uh, going to farmers union meetings when I was really young and learning about food systems and all of the aspects of the economy that are affected by um, the changes in trade policy and the cultural norms that were taking people farther and farther away from their food. When you're not producing your food, when you're not preparing your food, you don't have as strong of a relationship with your food. So as I, you know, would be forced, um, many times uh, I was told, voluntold by my babas, uh, that you're coming to the hall to make pierogies mm -hmm. and we need your help in the hall because this is going on. So my love for food and the gathering around food was instilled in me by my beautiful family. My mom has four sisters and I have two very strong babas, grandmothers. And so children live what they learn. And so that's where I always felt the happiest and the most connected was with the women that were teaching us how to cut an onion finely and what makes an, a good onion and a bad onion and why garlic matters. And, you know, taking a great deal of pride in the art of what they learned, you know, throughout their story and transferring that knowledge. And in so many ways, farming is a vessel to transfer knowledge. You know, growing this food, spending hours washing the eggs, which I could show you in a little bit, you know, one egg at a time, it takes time. So you don't always have time to cook and, and stuff like that. So you learn from the people around you, but it's really that community aspect, which is what makes Fort McMurray so amazing mm -hmm. because the people of Fort McMurray make me feel like I matter in the big industrial food system. As a farmer, I often, um, have these moments where I feel like it really doesn't matter to the world whether I am toiling and trying, but the people of Fort McMurray make me feel like it absolutely matters to the world. And I'm so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So I'm sorry for the long-winded answer. No, I love but it. That's, love um, it. that's really so where it stemmed from. So then it took a lot of soul searching and I had to uh, really contemplate my options. And like any adventure in life, you just have to start. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. You know, it's, uh, I, I'm not always a big fan of, of the bureaucracy. And, and uh, you know, when I started, somebody from the government <laughs> gave me this binder of what a market garden should look like. And they told me how much money I should make. And they told me all this. And that's great. But they didn't tell me what to do when the rains came too much or the rains didn't come or there was a grasshopper infestation or, you know, a variety of different challenges, that kind of stuff you have to learn. Mm -hmm. So choosing to farm is truly choosing what level of commitment you want to make. And and it's a commitment. Oh, yeah. It's a daily commitment. (laughs) It's a daily commitment. And I was... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, like I'm just getting ready to start. Well, and this is one of my questions, like when should I start planting my seedlings? But um, I've got my seeds ready to go, like ready to be planted, but there's obviously still snow on the ground. I'm like, okay, well, I got to start my garden. And then I'm sitting there going, wow, I have about a vacation a month that I'm going to have to have someone come and water my garden. But it's really important to me to have my own vegetables and like produce my own food because you don't know what's coming. And I want to make sure that that's one of the skills that I've acquired uh, just in case, because I'll tell you, like, I'm not a prepper or anything, but I want to be prepared. You know, I want to be prepared if anything happens, if I'm unable to like buy food from a grocery store, I need to be able to hunt. I need to be able to fish. I need to be able to grow my own food, you know, and like really be able to understand the metrics of that. So that's, my turn. Well, um, as I always talk to people, no, I think that's that's really a really great um it's a great plan. And I think it's an important skill set that isn't necessarily talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that requires practice and time. And so what I say to anybody who's growing anything is that your first step is to understand understanding the soil that you are planting in. Uh, We run on a very strict philosophy of feeding the soil, not the plant. So having, you know, the right amount of calcium and magnesium and sodium and phosphorus in the soil really will determine the health of your soil Mm -hmm. and, you know, good drainage and things like that. So I, uh, I value the people that have helped me uh, germinate my seeds. I partner with an incredible woman by Warspite, uh, which is on the way to Smoky Lake. And I was actually just there yesterday and we're getting all itchy and excited and taking trays back and looking at how many trays that we're going to need for everything. And a lot of other farms like mine have their own transplanting equipment and their own greenhouses. But part of any venture is you do the best you can with what you have and where you're at. And so mm. I've never been in a position to be able to to keep my prices affordable and manage all of the infrastructure costs. So you build community and you build partnerships. And that's, I think, you know, one of the basic metrics of a food system and, and any good business model, Yeah, you know, you, it makes sense to assess, you know, at some point, will that situation change for me? Probably. Absolutely. Um, but for now it's been going for 13 years and I'm pretty grateful for it. So just read your packages and uh, don't overwater. 
don't underwater. Some of your seedlings might require a heat pad, you know, to germinate. I always tell people just, you know, the germination days, you'll kind of know within a week after you plant. So it kind of depends how much you want to transplant. Um, so I always start, like, we will start in two weeks. You know, that's, you know, given a sometime mid-May transplant, early end of May transplant, that gives me about seven or eight weeks to get everything transplanted and in trays. And then we go, there's a lot of things we plant from direct seed as well, mm -hmm. which is a different story because I have to budget so many hours of labor for anything I plant. So mm -hmm. direct seeding requires more labor, which affects my pricing. Right. And so we, um, I ain't going to lie. People have a completely skewed perception on the value of food. A hundred percent. And I don't know some people, uh, I, I don't know that enough people look at it from the perspective of what would happen if the truck stopped rolling. Right. I think there's some people who invest greatly, thank God, because I wouldn't be farming if they didn't in knowing where their food comes. And then there's a big portion of society that looks at food security as uh, the trucks coming in. But the truth of the matter is there's a small number of companies controlling the entire system globally. Mm -hmm. So the way that I look at it is when you are having a conversation with me and considering working with me, that is an act of resistance. That is a react, uh, an act of resistance that truly is fighting for some voice in the story of actual food production. Because it doesn't matter if Mandy Melnick is producing that food. What matters is that, one, we have access to land. Um, it's a very big, uh, big part of the picture. Two, we have access to our own genetics that we are able to save and reuse our seed and or have heritage breeds of the livestock and poultry that we raise. Genetics is a big part of the food conversation. And then, of course, um, the concentration of power in the processing and the retail end of the food system. Yeah, I can't so, imagine how many freezers you must have. <laughs> <laughs> like thinking about it i'm like wait a minute where yeah where would you store all of that like after you've harvested you know mm. and i mean i've seen yeah. i've bought boxes and you know boxes and boxes of food from you so i'm just like yeah i love it you should see my pantry right now you'd be really proud <laughs> yeah no it, it takes but it takes time you have to be in the mental space you know i'm just in the process of really mastering the art of pickling eggs and i'm like Oh my gosh, I got cuts on my hand from peeling 300 eggs. That's a lot of eggs because I don't have time to make a lot of small batches. So if I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to do this and do it well. So yeah. I hope they taste good. Everybody can try those. But food takes time. Mm -hmm. And so when you come into my space, I don't have a dishwasher. I don't have a microwave. And I believe that the whole idea of quick and easy convenience food is the process that started taking people farther from their food. Yeah. Right. It's much different than when you're peeling an egg than when you're throwing a pizza pop in the microwave. Right. And so the health effects of that, I'm no person to judge my survival to be able to handle the levels of stress that come are questionable. I do, you know, like anyone, I'm a, a human that's flawed and we all have our flaws. However, um, I, I know uh, what, is most important when I ask my my new villagers and my existing villagers, tell me about your food story. 
Let's talk about your food story. Oh, my food story. You know? Not great. <laughs> I have a very bad no, that's okay. with food. I love food. Like I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm actually a red seal pastry chef by trade. I do know this. Yes. And she was preparing all of the food for the wedding and I was doing the wedding cake. So I got to see the production and how much work went into it. And I'll tell you, it was incredible to eat that food the next day and know how much love and preparation went into it. And I was just like, this is, this is incredible because you don't see that. You don't like, that's not normal. You know, the farmer doesn't usually come and help uh, prepare the wedding meal, you know, but I just look at that and I'm like, wow, people don't get it. Like I stopped doing pastry a, because I got carpal tunnel so bad. It was destroying my life. Uh, and then I was like, all I'm doing is like giving people diabetes and stuff like that, making them fat. You know, I'm like, this is not, it's not the mission that I'm on. Right. And so I stopped with the food industry because I was like, it's so hard to work retail or like customer service. It's so hard to, um, come home at night and like, feel good about yourself for the fact that you literally just like put all of this processed sugar out into the world. And then you're like, oh, okay. And then there's the place where I came to Fort McMurray and I, they're like, yeah, make a pie. And so I made pies and then I got reprimanded for it because they meant pull it out of the freezer instead of actually going and making pie. Right. So I was just like, uh, what? <laughs> what? I was so confused. So I left the industry. I really did not align with it. And I was like, this is really hard, but I've always loved, I've always loved feeding people. I've always loved the community of eating together. And that's a really big deal to me. Like me and my husband, we, if we're off at the same time and we can do dinner together, we do dinner together and we cook together and like, make sure that it's a big deal because like, that's a, that's fantastic. I'm so sorry yeah. to hear that you, I mean, if, if you find joy friend in making those pastries, mm -hmm. everything in moderation matters. And I've eaten your pastries. So mm -hmm. for the people that are close to you, you should still make those if that's what you want to do, because it brings yeah. you joy. Yeah. It is still an art. Everything we do is an art. Um, yeah. But I can appreciate the challenges of dealing with the public. Yes. Um, And, you know, one of the questions that makes me crazy is how much per pound? I'm like, honey, this is how this goes. I raise these birds and I bust my butt to keep it away from avian flu to keep the coyotes away. And so I raise these birds and this is how many days I raise these birds so that you can get the flavor. I'm up against an industry that has genetically engineered these birds to be done in 38 days. So everybody thinks a chicken is what it looks like when you walk into Save on Foods and there's this little rotisserie chicken and it's a quick and easy meal. And Anyone. it just looks like this and, and you go and chicken. everything is bloody and black and the bones bend. And I'm like, oh, honey, if you saw how that thing was raised, you would never eat it. And so with me, I'm competing against this for people's understanding of what you're actually getting. Right. And that's a question that makes me crazy. So I package everything, right? I do a once a month delivery in McMurray, but also in Edmonton, Edmonton South and Edmonton North. So what I ask people to do is think about what you would like to eat in a week. 
And then, you know, one week you might want to try chicken. The next week you might want to have chicken breasts. The week after that, you might want to do dark meat. So you want some jams and some thighs. Don't want wings in a month. But to get people to actually commit to that relationship, right? So people want to buy chicken breasts only. And I have always been, well, you know, the real value is in the bone-in chicken because you can get a bone-in chicken breast, but all of the work that I do is actually so that you get the value of the nutrition from the sun and the grass and the fact that those birds aren't being pumped up with soy and corn and all of these kinds of, of additives that make them grow really fast. So people say to me all the time, well, you should do this. And, and oh, farmers get shitted. You know, it's just like, should, should, should. Yes, you know, I would love to do that. But let's talk about the cost because you tell me my stuff's too expensive for you. But let me tell you, you're actually paying way more when you go to the grocery store because when my stuff, you get my stuff, it doesn't shrink. At all. You know, and I'm packaging <laughs> it so that I do it by the bird versus by the by the pound because there's there's no way that you know we as far, small producers don't get subsidies. Mm-hmm. So the farmers actually subsidizing this to make it affordable for you. But you have to plan for it. So if you're buying a $45 beautiful chicken and you break it down and you're able to get four to six meals out of that, that's a pretty cheap chicken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but people don't really look at like look at it like that, right? So well, it was so interesting. the education. The first time that we cooked one of your chickens, I was blown away with how much meat was on that bird like you don't think about uh, the fact that the thighs should be thighs and not just like little strings of meat that hope you can hope that you get off the (laughs) bone you know and i'm just like this is crazy because i'm sitting here looking at um it was so sad driving down the highway and seeing the little itty bitty tiny little birds And I was like, they're going to slaughter right now, you know, and just going, oh, no. And then I think about like my sister-in-law's birds and stuff, and they're way bigger than those little tiny birds that are being sent to slaughter, you know? And I'm just like, oh, crazy. They're like between the size of a store chicken and like a turkey. But I can't even imagine the size of your turkeys either. (laughs) Like. I'm excited for Christmas. Well, one of the things that they don't tell you in the big white binder when, you know, back then direct marketing and market garden was just looking like something the government wanted, you know, to make it appear that they had some knowledge of. They don't tell you what happens when you get parasites or viruses that can prevent you, you know, from keeping poultry alive. It's it's an art to grow chicken. Yeah. It is an outside and outside. And I stress the word outside. Because let me tell you about the false advertising that we also have to deal with because, you know, everybody thinks, oh, you know, I'm talking to a politician. I support local. I go to the heterites all the time. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have a heart attack. My, you know, because there's, you know, that is <laughs> that is definitely definitely different yeah. than what we do. But it is a completely different product. So people have to put in the work to understand why. And ask why. And, and, you know, it's not personal, but it is, it's a different raised product, right? It's a competitive industry. And every time we can't do something ourselves, we're paying for labor, whether that be the mechanic, whether that be the carpenter, the electrician, or the weeder, or the person to just simply help clean a barn or pack pails. 
Mm-hmm. And so years ago, this is why everybody had so many kids. Mm-hmm. But it was so interesting because I had one of my neighbors come over yesterday. And this is this is where the big challenge that we're going to have. So I have this beautiful neighbor and she's got a young man. And for me to be able to go away, they, they'll help me feed my dog and pick eggs sometimes if I ever need cover. But she said to me, we do not want Adam uh, to take over the farm. We want him to have a better life. And I said, oh, that breaks my heart. Because that's how we've ended up here. We're less than 14% of the population lives in rural communities in Alberta. Yeah. 14%. This morning, I just read uh, or listened to uh, a day six. I'm not sure if you listened to the CBC, but I listened to a a day six story where they were talking about the mass amount of foreign investment and conglomerate investment from individuals and corporations that are buying up the land. So here we have a system that's really taking everybody back from having the freedom to farm to serfdom Mm -hmm. because the only people that can afford those rents are the really big guys and they're feeding the plants, not the soil. So it's a very complex conversation when we talk about what food security looks like and what food sovereignty looks like. Mm -hmm. And most people, you know, they're worried about how their kids are doing. They're worried about how to keep their lives balanced and healthy. And it's almost too much. But going back to an act of resistance, when you can shake the hand of the person making your food, that is an act of resistance in the food system that has been enabled and designed. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing frustrates me more than everybody getting up and complaining about food prices when those of us on the ground have been saying for years and years and years, this is bad for consumers, this is bad for farmers. It's going to take us in a, put us in a position where we have no control. Mm -hmm. But when you have a relationship with somebody who is committed, who's trying to make it work, Mm -hmm. invest in that because people like me are going to be the only vessels of that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, You know, a lot of people in rural communities go to Olds or Vermilion or these ag schools, but ask how, when you actually ask a graduating class of those people, how many of them are going to farm? A small percentage is actually going to farm and a bigger percentage is going to sell chemical and seed for the big companies. There's a difference, Uh right? There's also a big difference between doing what we do in the poultry and vegetable world versus being, you know, rancher, you know, different needs. Everybody works really hard, but different needs and different demands. Uh So I can't see our community thriving or any of us achieving our goal of understanding our food system if we don't have relationships with the people producing. Yeah, I agree. I just think it's super valuable, you know? Yeah. And so now can I ask you um, what uh, what you love to eat? What do I love to eat? Um, yeah. Very interesting question. So I like variety. I'm a variety person. One of my favorite things to eat is ice cream and I can't eat ice cream because I'm allergic to it. <laughs> right? Oh no! So I'm like, okay, well, yeah, but maybe if it wasn't so overly processed, it wouldn't be hurting me as badly. Right. So one of the things I've been really uh, digging into since I've had the multiple miscarriages is my diet mm-hmm. and how I'm allowing sugar to take over or how I'm um, still consuming. Cause you know me, I'm always gone. I'm never home. And it's so frustrating. Cause I got all this good food here, you know, and like, Oh yeah, the house full freezer full, 
full, full, full, full, full of food. And like, I'm the kind of person to not waste my vegetable ends because I make stock out of it and stuff like that. Anyways, so I love all types of food, but primarily I like spices. Like, um, I like spicy food. So like Indian food is my favorite. Uh, any type of like curry or anything like that. I love it. Pizza. Wow. Let's be real. Those are so good. You should, um, you should send us a couple recipes for Metal Creek Farms website of, uh, you know, our chicken breast and, and making sure. uh, any curry with it. That would be good like because that. that's a super, but you brought up, you brought up a lot there. And one of the things that people don't understand about the food system is that it's heavily, um, uh, dependent on trade agreements. So a lot of our processing is not done in Canada. Yeah. And in America, they have the U.S. Farm Bill, which is very ironic because they like to pride themselves, you know, on a free market economy, but they're subsidizing their producers to overproduce corn and soy. And the people making money in that uh, is the fertilizer industry, right? So to me, it makes absolutely no sense to take... um natural gas from the earth, put it into <laughs> fertilizer only to produce food that we don't actually, you know, we don't, we can produce a cow without corn and soy, Yeah. but they're using, you know, food production like that. And that gets very complicated, but there is almost corn in everything we eat from almonds to ice cream. Yeah. There's very little dairy in, in, uh, in actual ice cream, that the ice cream that we eat now. And that is frightening. And I think that's what people don't understand. This is the first generation they're expecting to not outlive, you know, their parents, mm -hmm. um, or sorry, to their parents will outlive a lot of them just because of the cumulative health effects mm -hmm. of our processed, um, food system. And I don't want to fear monger or suggest anything, uh, towards, but, the reality is kind of there when you look at the level of obesity in the States versus, you know, the growing obesity in Canada, the level of diabetes in both country, you don't need to talk. The evidence is here. Well, and so, the amount you know, of cancer and, you know, that kind of stuff too. Uh, a lot of that's caused by preservatives and people aren't looking at the ingredients that are in these foods that they're eating. And it's like, did you know that citric acid is in almost everything? Like it's, crazy blows my mind well and it's funny because people i often get you know in the world of, of farm workers and farm workers rights um people want good solid employment for their jobs they want good support uh for their positions but they want food where a good portion of it is being either harvested or or, or processed by people who are not getting paid properly yeah. You know, there's a reason that we wear cotton clothes versus hemp clothes and, you know, fast fashion and cotton, but cotton was also picked by slaves mm -hmm. and not a lot of that has changed. And people don't want to actually hold a mirror up in their face and say, okay, yeah. So I'll just say every time you are supporting that model, you are supporting people not getting paid properly. Mm -hmm. So just know that, own that if that's your choice, yeah. which leads me again to a resistance, food resistance. Food resistance is having a relationship with where your food comes from, what it is fed. You know, soy in poultry is one of the worst things for our bodies, our hormones. And there's been, you know, I'm not going to get into the debate about which type of cancer and this or that. The evidence is there. If people want to research, you know, the argument side of what soy and corn does, 
it's all intended for cheap calories and cheap protein. Mm-hmm. So you kind of do the math. You you get what you get, right? You taste something that tastes like paste versus my chicken that tastes like, oh my God, chicken has flavor. Has I've had so many people flavor. to say, but this is the funniest. I, I My husband just really didn't like the taste. It tasted wild gamey to him. And I'm like, well, what do you think? Not sure. So. <laughs> It is a wild game. It is. It's just. Well, you know, you know, but that's just how custom people are <laughs> to, you know, uh, and, and thank God in Canada, Canada, we are in a much better position here to at least try and have some control over what goes in. My very first resistant fight, I was in grade eight and the Americans were trying, they had just approved a growth hormone in their milk called RGBH, which allows those cows just to produce like crazy and and in a very inhumane way. And the Canadian government was just in the process of either accepting this or not, but we won. And so the reason that supply management matters so much in our country is that we can control to some degree what is going into our milk and we're not getting flooded with the Americans in milk. The -hmm. same with poultry, you know, while we have a different take on what an antibiotic actually is and, you know, the 38 day finishing cycle, um, I would give anything to keep, you know, other like the American products out just because it's the food system has gone to produce cheaply. But the ironic thing is, is who's making all the money then? Because when you go to the grocery store, you have a pretty big bill, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody, somebody is making the money. So, so the one thing that baffles me is that people will look at my $45 chicken and they'll go to the grocery store and they might go to Costco and they might pay 12 bucks, you know, $42.99 for those three, you know, little, uh, we call them, you know, chicken in the, how does that song go at Christmas time? Uh, there's, uh, the partridge, partridge, no chicken, partridge hens or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you go to Costco and you get these tiny little things, right? So $42.99, 45 for one K. They're thinking they get three, even though they shrink, you know, to nothing. But all the grocers are admitting that they have a 50% markup. So I'm like, okay. So there's no farmers. Everyone else is taking over the land. These chickens came from you have no idea where. The lamb comes from New Zealand. The pork all comes from the States. Trucks, trains, automobiles. If those stop, you have nobody to produce your food, but you're not going to support the small guy here when you have the means to save $3 on this, but you're going to give the corporation 50% of what you're just, you know, paying for that. Like, how does this make sense? Mm -hmm. You talked earlier in the sound about the metrics of it. Food choices require commitment as well. And you're not going to have the people to choose from other than the Hutterites if you don't want to invest in a commitment to have a relationship. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's kind of that simple. Everybody's got a hairdresser and a doctor and a lawyer and an accountant. Thank God this time of the year, you definitely need a good accountant. Why do we, I know we, we might smell bad, you know, and sometimes I know <laughs> my truck smells, I smell like chicken shit all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, I should have more self-respect. And I do, but you're always in a rush. So it could be the smell, it could be my wild hair. I don't know. But all I want is to have a good conversation. I'm not saying you have to spend all your food dollars with small farmers, but it's, we're so much more interesting than the average person. Like, come on, like who else gets to complain about the sky and complain about the bugs? (laughs) I can't imagine. That's really what it comes. Oh, it's, ah, what I've been through is love. True. Honest to God. 
the best way to describe what we do is love. It, it truly is a love for my country. It's a love for my province and my community, but most importantly for my customers and my friends, because most of the people that I've been with have been with me in Fort McMurray since the beginning. So, I mean, I'm, I had babies in the womb that are now in junior high and I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting so old. Um, <laughs> and I've been a part of their story, right? Like Mandy bacon or Mandy breakfast sausages or Mandy chicken. That's a part of their story. They and, and the beautiful thing is what those parents are teaching them is that when they go on their own, they may have a different respect and may invest in the time to have a farmer because there's other parts of the country that have easier access to uh, building a relationship with the farmer versus what we have in our remote, more sparsely populated Alberta. And so, um, there's a lot uh, to it when you're offering a lot more than just vegetables. And that part frustrates me a little bit because, you know, I can't keep the whole farm going on just eggs. Right. So it's that finding that balance and the diversity and keeping that conversation going forward. I mean, everybody has interesting lives and everybody has a story. Right. So I don't want to be calling somebody who's, you know, I had no idea. Everybody's got whether it be miscarriages or a loss of a job or an aging parents or kid that's struggling you have to have that open communication because I'll be like, okay, you know what? Take the product because I'm only here. Pay me when you want, knowing that there's a trust there, right? Hmm. And sometimes like that's the, I hate the paperwork part of my business. I'll be honest. Like I'm not as good at it. You know, I try to, that's why I try and package things like five chickens, 200 bucks. Good. You know, <laughs> like I know I'm going to need a girl kind of thing, but um, that is one of the bigger things that uh, I'd like to just talk about for a second is that, when I first got into the business, it was under this community supported agriculture where I would try and get people to commit to me to say, okay, I'm going to want this many beets or this many carrots or this much garlic. And now I try to tell people I'm doing everything in my power not to raise my prices. Mm -hmm. But if you could tell me how many chickens you think you would eat in a year, I can grow those for you. And then I'm not spending $500 on Facebook ads a month to try and move the chicken drums. Because every time I get to a chicken breast, guess what? Those chickens have two thighs, two drums and two wings. And I still have to sell them, right? Because I can't afford just to throw them out or give them away. Mm -hmm. Hell, to be honest with you, Elena, I love this job so much. I would love to just have it be by give what you can pay, right? Yeah. And that would be, you know, or come and work you yeah, know, one thing I've pretty sure helped this year. So, you want me to grow your row beets? Come and but people want they have to put the thought into processing, and into that. Mm -hmm. And I try not. I try to recycle my boxes so that I'm not spending money. You know, those boxes are like four or five bucks a piece once you get the liners in there. Yeah. So I know some people look at me like, oh, she's just cheap, and it's like, honey, if you really knew, because I. Having eggs in the winter, if you ever notice on Facebook or in the story, you know, from, you know, July to October, everybody's growing uh, chickens and everybody's got laying hens and, and all of that. But on our laying hen story, and if, if it's okay, I'm just going to go grab one of my eggs so people can sure. Yep. I eat her eggs almost every day, <laughs> which is awesome. And I have four okay, or five containers so in my thing right now. I'm going to tell you the story of these. I don't know. Can you see them? I don't want them to fall yep. out of the curtain. Yep. Okay. So here we go. So this story of this egg starts about 14 months before I actually get this egg. Mm -hmm. 
because I raise my laying hands because we are, we have so many different um, challenges with poultry that I have to, I, the less you move a bird, the healthier it is. So my birds start from just a tiny, tiny and, and Langham birds. They're about this big when they hatch much smaller than a broiler bird. And so uh, they, they actually first go into a calf shelter. So I brood them in a calf shelter because they're warm and they get lots of shavings. And so it takes about a good nine and a half months to get them producing because you'll see this is a bit of a, well, this is a bigger egg, but I have a few smaller ones because I'm always cycling birds in and out. But to get the bigger the egg, the older the hen. But this is an average size egg. And this is a 14 month old, you know, from when they actually start producing and then they produce good for about a year. So it's one thing to be romantic about the idea of producing food. And it's another thing to have laying hens at minus 30 and to offer eggs that are produced well over the winter hundreds of dollars a week just on appropriate shavings mm -hmm. and what i mean by appropriate shavings is there's a lot of people who think they can just go cut down a bunch of trees and throw it in there doesn't quite work that way then some shavings you get and they're just dust but if birds don't have shavings they eat the eggs and it's bad for their feet you want a healthy flock you gotta you know in the winter you gotta keep their feet really warm but people don't think about that. So they'll be like, oh my God, she's cheap because there's not a thousand labels on everything. When I first started, I paid people to sit for hours putting labels. Half the labels fall, uh, fell off. And then I realized my customers was like, if I need to know something, I'll go to the website or I'll phone you. I'm like, okay, you know, so I probably shouldn't say that to the general public. All my labels are available. All my, <laughs> But uh, we make things more complicated sometimes than we have to. And I have done everything in my power learning with the village of people who have mm -hmm. helped me understand. And I get challenged a lot of it. I have um, um, some people who wish that I had more information because information matters and stuff, but everything we do costs money in business. Mm -hmm. And so you ask how I've survived a lot of it, uh, the people learning and just being, having everyone, what's more important, you know, a fancy box or really good food. Right. And that is, you know, such a good question. And I want people to get more access to you. I want you to talk a little bit about the co-op as well. Um, but I think that if people can get more access to you in particular, um, but also people like you, because if they're not in Fort McMurray or uh, the, you know, Northern Alberta region, they need to get in contact with their farmers as well, because this is a global conversation. And I think that if people can get access to local farmers and start building those relationships, then we can actually make a difference and try and change things so that people get help. So where can people find you? Well, you know, Elena, I hope we can talk again, because I think we've just scratched the surface on a couple of things. And I think mm -hmm. there's a few, if it's okay with you, some targeted uh, conversations that we could have about the issue of food security. Yeah. Um, I, the best thing to do is to go to my website. Uh, we have incredible relationships. You're one of them in Fort McMurray. Uh, but I've got a great team of people, Tanya, Steph, uh, Carolyn, um, we can pretty much always figure out a way to, to get you food if you want it. Uh, but ordering through our website is the best way to get a good idea. If you don't like something or you have questions about something, we're generally really flexible. And on Highway 831 North, and I'm hoping this can be our next conversation, uh, the Gathering Place Co-op, it's super important that we collectively work together. We built a commercial kitchen so that we can serve you really great food 
that is growing right here in the northeastern part of the province and uh, collectively bringing that gathering into the kitchen um, again. And so uh, stay tuned for that next one. Yeah. Uh, Meadow Creek Farms. I love to pride myself and say I am the real farmer of Fort McMurray. Yeah. (laughs) I've had had people from Fort McMurray come to the farm, bring their tent and stay for a week. Yeah. Because it is joyful to be here. You know, even at the hard times, when you when you're facing adversity, you can't control. And I over the years, I've always said this, and I think there's something on YouTube. I'm not good on the tech side. I could use some support on that. But years ago, somebody came and made a video for me, which was great. And I would say the skies have all the power. And they truly do. Uh And resisting um, climate change and being resilient to climate change is going to be where the next chapters of my story goes and inspiring people to want to participate, not just talk, but actually participate in whichever way they need to really matters. Whether that be going in the jungle and picking raspberries and finding out why I don't overclean the raspberries. Well, we don't overclean the raspberries because we don't actually know what the skies are going to bring them. So it's one thing to prune the branches and make everything look good. Well, I've done that. And guess what? I had no production because this came into them or that came into them. Mm -hmm. So I make the choice to let them go wild. And it is risky. There's wasps in there and there's things like that. So, you know, we kind of put on coveralls and we make (laughs) trips. And then we say, come to the jungle, but it's really fun. And there's something special about picking berries and watching each other for the the bees and hoping like hell you don't get stung too much. But um, the bees are really important. Yeah, I, on my top 25 list have uh, like be a bee mom. (laughs) I want to be a bee mom. Yes, be a bee mom. Yeah. I think it's cool. And uh, I, yeah. Um, So I am... Um, we're always open to conversation and I would love to have people, you know, just think about that as an act of resistance a little bit. And if, you know, you have to know your own motivation and if price is the only thing that's motivating you about food, that's not going to change. You know, people are always going to go for the cheapest, you know, but you, but you get what you pay for. Yeah. I always tell people investing in community and investing in, in um, your health, having a relationship. Well, your health as well, right? This is the worst part. They'll go and they'll buy the cheapest shit from the store and then spend hundreds of dollars in the health food store. And I'm like, Oh, do you know, incredible vitamins that come from the soil or they spend all this money on all this food uh, that's super cheap. And then they end up with diseases because of the food that they consumed. Like, not good. Yeah. All speculative, of course, but it's <laughs> it's not yeah. it's not good. We got a bigger conversation to have. Unfortunately, we're out of time today, but I definitely want to come back on. We can for sure uh get into some more of those topics. Maybe we can do that uh in your next off season. <laughs> definitely. I know. Well, I am I have it's no problem. Crazy. And if you ever want to come, could we do one of these outside? Yeah, You know, the best time to come is actually July because you see this mountain of chickens over acres and acres. Because in my model, I tell people I actually literally produce from April until October and then I put it in the freezer. Mm-hmm. When I started in this business, though, Lena, it's changed people's habits and society is changing so much because I used to have people order 30 chickens, you know, and I would grow them. They would take them in September and then I would just see them once a year. 
right? But people, a lot of people don't have freezers anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you folks, you might want to start investing in freezers because yeah. I think that with avian flu, what the prediction is, is that chicken will be more expensive than beef by the end of this year. I believe it. So yeah, that's one. Uh, I'm very nervous, but I'm well prepared. And uh, hopefully we can do what we got to do to keep our birds safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, yeah, and I'm just so excited about having you in our village and our growing village in Fort McMurray. So Meadow Creek Farms, um, and just give us a text or go online and yeah. I'll put Thank everything in the show interest. notes. Yeah, I'll put everything in the show notes for everyone so they can get access to you and your farm and your social media and all that stuff too. So again, thank you for yes. being here. You're much appreciated. And I hope that you're able to stop in and see yeah, us. I would love to. We're actually yeah. going to be down um, this weekend, but maybe on the way back up, we could pop in. Sure. Be good. Wicked. Okay, beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Thank yes. you. This has been so much fun. All right. Okay, we'll talk soon. Exciting effort.